Hello, this is Champ 180, and I'm your host, your helper and friend, Adam Childress. If you're listening and expecting a kumbaya session on what you want to hear, this may not be the show for you. We are committed to encouraging and developing champion-like individuals who desire to learn, grow, improve in the five core areas of champ. I'm real, transparent, and say what's on my mind with no fluff or puff. So listen up, because today is your day. Stay tuned. Hi, and welcome to the episode of Champ 180. Today we'll be discussing the 12 stages of bonding. I have with me a special guest, Nita DeRossier. Nita has a bachelor's with double majors in Christian counseling and Bible theology with a minor in cross-cultural issues. Nita met her wonderful husband in college and has been married for 25 years. They have six children, burying their seventh in 2006. She has worked as a director of a nonprofit counseling center, residential staff at a group home, director of a woman's dorm, and had several trips for ministry, and is a public speaker. Currently, she is a life coach, content writer, and a tutor. She has homeschooled most of her children, which has taken her on a different path, one that she truly enjoys. She enjoys being with her family and has a crazy talent for collecting high-quality people and loves spending time with friends and connecting with them. Nita, thank you so much for your time and being here today. Thanks for having me, Adam. It's going to be fun. So, uh, first question I have for you. Um, in your bio, it mentions you have a degree and some experience or lots of experience um, from what I know. What gave you the desire to study and practice counseling? Mm, that's funny because when I was graduating from eighth grade, uh, we did an exercise of, you know, what are you going to be when you grow up? We just had to do come up with something out of our imagination. It's not like I was doing any counseling at that time in my life, but I said I would like to be a counselor to the uh, celebrities in Hollywood because I figured it would give me an unending source of income. <laughs> True. And so there was something in me at that time that thought, Counseling sounded good or fun, but it's not like I ever pursued it. Then um, I became a Christian at around age 22. And at that point, when I became a Christian, um, there were just so many people who came into my life and came alongside me and just just loved me and counseled me, um, not like with dramatic things, but also with dramatic things. But I just started to see um, what a blessing it was for me that people had come alongside me in my life. So when I was in school going to college, um, of course, there's the psychology classes that are mandatory, no matter what your degree is. And as I sat in the psychology classes, then I would get extremely curious and very stimulated with the material that I was learning in the classroom. Of course, there was also the other side of it. Like when we're studying personality disorders, I'd sit in the classroom and I was convinced I had every single personality disorder <laughs> that we studied. But it was through those general ed classes that started to pique my interest. And at the time, I was involved in small groups and ministries, various ministries. And one of the ministries I was involved with was um, a group home a residential group home where there were 
um, upwards to 23 women on a monthly basis living there whose lives were just in total chaos. And um, the director and myself were often the ones who were by default kind of counseling these girls. And there were many times that we would kind of go, man, I don't know what to do. do you know, what should we do? We didn't, we felt lost. We didn't have the, the tools in our toolbox. And I mean, we were to all extents and purposes, we were just volunteers. And, um, inevitably what happened more than once on many occasions, I would go to class the next day and what I would learn in class the next day would be the solution to the girl's uh, issue that we were talking to the night before. So then I would rush back to um, the home and say, I, I, I learned here. today. Yes, I learned. <laughs> I learned. I think this is what we should do. And so pragmatically, I was doing, I had clinical experience way before I had the academic experience. Mm. So the academics just made the clinical all the, um, uh, it synchronized the two. And, and so I just slid into it. So uh, probably a couple years in, I changed my major and went into counseling. And it just has been, for me, it's engineering, mm -hmm. right? It's just analyzing a problem um, and then coming up with a solution. But it's not like I'm really coming up with a solution, meaning that people are not projects. Right. It's just I'm an outsider. I'm looking at your situation from a different perspective and maybe providing a different perspective, but really just coming alongside the individual who's in a deep period of growth and development, coming alongside and encouraging them um, through that period in their lives. Gotcha. Wow, that's awesome. I love that. Today's topic, the 12 stages of bonding, is really good. And I believe it's needed to have and secure healthy boundaries in a relationship, right? Right. I look forward to learning more about it. But first, uh, what inspired you to learn this topic and deliver it? Okay, shout out to Bev Weens, who was the department head at the school that I attended in college. And I believe now that she's department head, perhaps uh, in, in a seminary. But at the time, she taught this material to us, the students. And it was one of those times when you get material and it's transformative. Mm -hmm. It really changed my whole perspective on um, relationships and how to be in healthier relationships than what I had already experienced up to that point in my life. And so, of course, I latched on to this content, carried it with me, like, you know, I'm going to take it with me through the rest of my life. Um, it really helped me while I was dating my husband. And then, um, I worked a lot at the time with college students and college students are all, you know, um, as they're pursuing academics, they're still at this stage of life, which developmentally they're trying to figure out how to be in intimate relationships, both friendship and romantic relationships. So I often shared this material with them too. And then when I was raising my kids, my kids, of course, were too little for me to share it with them. But as my kids started entering puberty, and of course, uh, my peers and I are always talking about 
parenting and issues that we're dealing with with our kids' ages. So as we started to go into um, our kids reaching puberty, then I would share this with my friends to give them insight as they were dealing with dating issues for their teenagers or whatnot. And so often my friends would say, can you teach this to my teenager? And so it was just always a mushroom. I just see when people have access to this understanding mm-hmm. that it seems to be something that they carry with them through the rest of their life instead of just putting it aside and never, you know, we've heard a lot of great sermons, read a lot of great articles that may be ministered to you in the moment, but you don't remember it two or three years later. True. This material seems to stay with people. Yeah. And um, you said that you've uh, taught some of your friends' kids. Um, how have they, have you seen uh, the fruit of that? Um, well, okay, my oldest right now uh, at home is, or, well, he's in school, he's in college, but he's 25. So this would be his peers, you know, that are now in their mid-20s too. And yes, some of those friends of his have returned to me or some of my friends' kids have returned to me and have given me feedback of how this helped them through their dating years and help them through their single years and such. So yes. Okay. But true disclosure, there's also been kids, a handful who have told me how the material burdened them mm-hmm. because they being teenagers absorbed it like a formula. Gotcha. Okay. So I have to go through these 12 stages this same exact way. And if I don't, I won't be in a good relationship. You know, it became a burden to them. Guilty. Guilt. Like that. You know, I mean, um, it, it's, it's just any time that you strive outside of the power of Christ, then it's always when you, when you try to do godly behavior by following a system, it's really religion, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I'm very careful now whenever I present this material to say, this is not a formula. This is not a system to follow. You know, this is just something to absorb into your life. Um, it's a pattern a behavior that exists in all humans. Use this information to the glory of God. Use this information to encourage you, inspire you, inform you. Oh, yeah. Don't use it. It's not law. Right. You break it. Yes. If guilty comes with it. Yes. Yes. It's not religion. Okay. That's good. That's good to know for those people that are listening that yeah, I like the transparency, you know, um, about some people that you said you got feedback it was a burden mm-hmm. um, because they they saw it as a law, right? Mm-hmm. They saw it as a messed up, there's guilt involved, but it's not the way it is, right? It wasn't developed that way. No, and also also what I would say is that it can be seen as a system. If I do A, B, and C, then I will get D, E, and F. So then it's a big disappointment and a big, let down when reality doesn't produce the DEF, 
right? Mm -hmm. So then there's so much discouragement, uh, but I did it right. How come it didn't turn out right? Well, it's because it's not a system of behavior to do right. It's information about human nature to inspire and inform you. I see. Okay. Nita, do you have a link uh, so that our listeners click on the link? I can put it in the uh, description on where they can find these um, 12 stages of bonding. Yes. Okay. So um, these 12 stages of bonding were originally uh, categorized by Desmond Morris, who is from England, and he's a zoologist. So... In 19, he's still alive to this day, but in 1967, he wrote The Naked Ape, which became an instant bestseller to everyone's surprise, including his. But it was just the book in which he observed the behavior between apes, and he wrote it all down. That's all he, all he did. He's a zoologist. He wrote his observations, and he saw through his observations specific patterns of behavior. So from that, he becomes an instant celebrity overnight in the academic world of England. And so he goes on and writes other books, you know, about the cat population, mm. <laughs> pandas, birds. And he begins to wonder what is it about humans that when the humans mate, that there's emotion and love involved but it's not with any other species in the world. How does he know that? Well, you don't see apes declaring love to one another. You don't see... He could be feeling it. He just doesn't to, see it. To the degree of which apes are able to feel. But, you know, of course, apes don't have the same emotional um, levels that we do, humans. And so... It was his curiosity about this that led him to write this book, which is called Intimate Behavior by Desmond Morris, in which he just wrote down the observations of the mating experience between two humans. And he saw across all cultures, there's these 12 stages or this natural progression from introduction between two humans to um, marriage and to the honeymoon. And so from observing it, he was able to categorize it into 12 stages. Then I was introduced to the 12 stages of bonding through an author, Dr. Donald Joy, who's actually a Christian. Mm -hmm. And he took that material uh, from Desmond Morris and analyzed it through the Christian worldview, saw that it lined up with scripture and with the, the Judeo-Christian worldview. And so anyone who wants access can um, uh, find Dr. Donald Joy's book entitled Bonding. He's also written a second book called Rebonding for how to address when bonds have been damaged, hurt, um, how to restore, rekindle um, broken bonds. And you can find this anywhere on the internet. You can just type in 12 stages of bonding. Um, it's been covered in broadcasts previously, Focus mm. on the family, family life today. Okay. 
Okay, so let's start on the uh, 12 stages. I know that our listeners are eager to see or to hear what they are. So um, have at it and uh, tell us what they are. Okay, so I'm going to run quick through the 12 stages, then I'll circle back and go into a little bit more description about them. Okay. okay. So those 12 stages of bonding are number one, eye to body, number two, eye to eye, number three, voice to voice, number four, hand to hand, number five, hand to shoulder, number six, hand to waist, number seven, face to face, number eight, hand to head, number nine, hand to body, Number 10, mouth to breast. Number 11, hand to genital. Number 12, genital to genital. Hmm. Okay, so those are the 12 stages. Um, if you break them down um, into four categories, so stages 1 to 3, stages 4 to 6, stages 7 to 9, and then stages 10 to 12, you can see that there's a, a progression that's occurring which lines up scripturally with the um, scripture that says, um, for this reason, a man shall leave cleave, become one flesh. What God joins together, let no one, no one put, put uh, break apart. I separate. Mm -hmm. okay. So those first three stages, you can say that this is the part in a young adult's life where they're leaving, you know, for this reason, a man shall leave, mm -hmm. then cleave, and stages four through six kind of line up with cleaving, and then become one flesh. Um, stages seven to nine, well, stages seven and on is the progression towards one flesh, and they shall be naked and unashamed. That's what the scripture says. And so all of this is our hope that we get to stage 12 with our spouse our new spouse, and that we are able to be in relationship with him or her um, in a way in which we feel naked and unashamed, in a way that we feel a level of acceptance from him or from her, in a way that we can be transparent and vulnerable and know that this individual accepts us with our strengths and our flaws and I think, I mean, isn't what the whole, that what the whole world is looking for? Mm. A person, some person, one person, just one person who loves me for who I am, not for what I look like, not for how I perform, you know, who just loves me for me. Yeah. It kind of gives me that song that comes to my head, looking for love in all the wrong places. And we all have. Yeah. Every single one of us. So... When it's laid out by this, uh, by Desmond Morris, he's not a Christian. He's not looking for, he's just observing this natural progression when it's followed naturally. And when you linger in each stage, it results in a healthy bond. Mm. And so marriage needs a healthy bond. You know, my husband and I have been married more than 25 years. And the things that we are, that we've been facing in the last 10 years, in terms of our teenagers and our young adults, the, the issues that come up in their lives, um, we've buried a child together. 
you know, work separations, long hours. Sometimes he worked two jobs, you know, just so much. If we didn't have that really healthy bond, um, I can see we would not have survived, mm -hmm. you know, so many of the uh, tragic situations that we've had to endure together over the last 15 years. So, Who do you give credit or what do you give credit for that bond? Well, in, you know, I had been exposed to this material, so I knew what I was looking for by the time I started dating him. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, honestly, his character was such that even though he didn't know this material, you know, this was just the way he conducted himself was, um, you know, he was just so honoring to me as he started to date date me. He just was really patient and, and slow. Um, I had a lot of baggage. <laughs> and he was just really, um, he was in it for the long run. That's cool. And he didn't seem to care every time I unpacked another Bone. compartment of my luggage oh look here's the here's another little storage compartment he just seemed unfettered you know um and so i think that patience on his part and uh just really showed me he's in it for the long haul and it enabled me to free up and to you know be really transparent and honest with him and I joke because when we got married, our pastor, he he was fond of saying that when he does marriage counseling, he puts the responsibility, you know, 100% of the time on the men. Mm -hmm. um, he says if the man is doing his job right, then the woman's going to um, respond accordingly. That's not saying that women have that's not indicating that women are nobodies, right? He's just saying they don't have their issues or um, there's a certain level of um, harmony that exists. Right. If in his opinion, men are doing their jobs, right? I believe that. So um, anyway, that's just something that he was fond of saying. We, we heard him say it many times, but when my husband and I got married, he said to me, if anything goes wrong in this marriage, Nita, it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> he said that I've never met a more selfless man in my entire life than your husband. So if anything goes wrong, it's on you. <laughs> oh, wow. That says a lot about Mark. It does. And about me, too. So <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so, I mean, we laughed. Yeah. We really, you know, we laughed at the moment. And of course, my husband at the moment felt like, don't put that burden on her because that's the kind of guy he is, you know. Yeah. But when I look back, Yes, because of the way he dated me is why we've been able, or I can't say factually, you know, I'm only talking theoretically, is why we've been able to endure so many of the challenges that life has presented to us. Because there was a friendship, a really good friendship that developed and, you know, things that we've been dealing with in the last year. I just look to him often and say, man, I'm so glad you're my friend to go through this with. It's a team effort, genuinely. Team effort. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that friendship was um, 
really nurtured during our dating years Mm -hmm. because in our raising young kids years, the friendship, if it, if it wasn't so strong, um, if it was just a quick friendship and, and a reliance more on the chemistry between us, the chemistry gets diminished by the busyness of life. Um, so during those seasons where the chemistry is sort of, you know, I'm so tired, you know, or, or whatnot, the friendship still exists. So that when you come out of those totally exhausted, exhausted seasons and the chemistry is still there, it's only reflective of the friendship that already exists. Oh, that's the bond. That's the bond. Yeah. Um, my wife and I, actually, my wife is probably the only one that I developed a friendship first. Mm-hmm. And we've been married 22 years. So Bravo. Yeah. Bravo. Yes, and I do know from, you know, your wife is a good friend of mine. So the way that she always talks about her husband is always still in a fond manner. And he's so cute. And the friendship is still there for you, too. Yeah, none of that, you know, the the sigh mm-hmm. before you talk about your spouse. Mm-hmm. Oh, my husband. Oh, my wife. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hurtful and it's sad. To, you know, I know we're getting off cue here, but it's... Uh, it's sad to hear that. Um, it's so rare to have good blossoming marriages after 20 years, you know. But I, I would just add um, the one, the biggest strength that I have in my life is gathering really quality friends. Yes. So I have many high quality women in my life. And I would say that even the women who have very healthy bonds with their husbands, life is hard. Mm -hmm. And we go through seasons where pain, you know, erupts, Mm -hmm. disappointments erupt between husband and wife, even in the strongest marriages. But if you have a healthy bond to begin with, you can recover, you know, so, um, I have listened to other wives giving that big sigh and then sharing the mm-hmm. hurts and disappointments. Mm-hmm. But it, I don't feel troubled for them. I mean, I know that they're going to make it through based upon the way they talk about their husbands mm-hmm. in the non-crisis seasons. Gotcha. That's, that's good to know. That's awesome. Okay. So eye to body. Let's uh, take the first three. And just, you know, kind of discuss what that looks like, you know, for our listeners. Okay. So uh, when you talk about these stages, one of the things that Desmond Morris observed is that there's a slow natural progression um, for a good bond to take hold. So Donald Joy brought out, you don't really need to be taught these stages. You know, if you have two teenagers who've never been given, quote unquote, the talk, they're still going to figure out how to get from stages one to 12, you know, without anybody instructing them. So it's natural. It's a natural progression. Um, one of the things to know is that with each step, there's a release, a chemical release of serum that happens. You know, there's dopamine happening left and right. There's mm-hmm. sparks flying. Right. And he, though he has no um, 
he's a secularist, so he's not uh, guided by Christian biblical worldview. Even he said, the longer you stay in each stage, the better your bond is going to be. So um, that's the um, inspiration as you as you listen to these stages is the suggestion is to try to linger in each stage. Don't rush through. Okay, so number one, eye to body. Um, eye to body would be um, so you're so you're checking him out. So, so men are visual. Let's uh, kind of nail that down for us guys too. What does that mean? Well, <laughs> we've heard that over and over again that men are visual. And um, so, of course, you're thinking as a man, oh, is she pretty? Oh, okay. Does she have a nice figure? Yeah. And, you know, there are four different um, types of love that are spoken about in Scripture. One is Eros love. One is uh, Storge love. One is Phileo love. And one is Agape love. Hmm. Okay. So, these stages, one to three, is Eros love. So that's going to be the romantic love. I see. And so for a gentleman, of course, it's, you know, is she attractive to me? And for women, too, you know, is he tall? Does he have uh, broad shoulders? You know, do I like the way, he, do I like his beard? If he's, you know, uh, in the beard stage of his life or whatnot. Um, so, of course... First, it's going to be whether there's a physical attraction. Hmm. But then, of course, you want to stay in this stage. If you linger in this stage, then it becomes more. And like for, for myself with my husband, it was the way that I saw him treat a gal on campus who had been hurt by someone else. And um, for me, it was seeing his work ethic because he worked on campus. Um, there was a class, like a public speaking class that we had together. And he gave, uh, his speech was from the Bible. And so when I saw him deliver the, the Word of God, that was my first attraction to him. So it starts out with, you know, a physical attraction, but then it's like, how does she treat other people. Oh, I see she really loves kids. I really like that in a gal. Oh, I see one of my friends, her husband, before they became, before they were engaged, he called her a serial do-gooder. <laughs> so he was attracted to the way she just loved everybody. Um, so it starts out, of course, a physical attraction, Eros love, but then it develops into what do you see in their character? So it's pretty much eye to action. Eye yes, to character. Yes. I, eye to body. You know, what eye are they eye. doing? But you're yeah. not, you're just observing and watching. Uh, gotcha. and, and so the longer that you watch, sometimes you see someone that you think is very attractive. True. And then you see them be a jerk to, you know, their fellow human beings and forget that. Why would I ever want a woman like that, you know? You're allowing that time to filter out for this person that you're watching. 
you're watching. Okay. If you take the time, mm -hmm. like you said, if you spend a lot, spend more time with eye to body, if mm -hmm. most of us did that, I think we would weed out the um, not so good mm -hmm. people, mm -hmm. unfortunately. But uh, we don't give that chance. We just do eye to body, mm -hmm. not eye to action or whatever, you know, take it deeper. Right. So when I would talk to... How do they treat their, their mom? Correct. <laughs> As a matter of fact, when I met my husband, we met on campus, and uh, there was a, the gal who ran the bookstore on campus. Um, she was talking to him. He had just returned from a trip home, and he brought his mom's famous lasagna. She'd made pans, big uh, pans of it, and he brought some back. And he was bringing some to the bookstore lady, would you like some of my mother's lasagna? Can I warm some up for you and bring it to you for, for lunch? And so anyway, I entered the bookstore and they're standing at the counter talking and I'm standing behind them. And the bookstore lady, I don't know, you know, she had a plan, obviously, and she observed that I'd come in. And so she takes the moment and she stops and she starts asking him about his mom. Tell me about your mom. And he did. He had a lot of really respectful. He obviously thought highly of his mom. And so she says, you know, I've always told my daughters that the way um, a young man speaks of or treats his mother is a good indicator of what kind of husband he'll be. Mm -hmm. And so she winks at me over his shoulder as she's saying that to him. And then she asks him a couple more questions, and then he turns around and he exits the bookstore. And then she says to me with a big grin, you're welcome. <laughs> That's awesome. But it's true, yes, how they treat their parents. You know, some people have been, um, the bond between their parents and themselves is a, not a strong bond, by no fault of their own, right? Yeah. So not to despair, you know, right. not to despair, but, you know, do they talk about their parents, you know, parents just didn't have their act together and, you know, and hopefully we can strengthen our relationship later or do they, you know, talk about them as though they're a hopeless case, you know, or whatnot. So, I mean, it doesn't have to be perfect. Like, obviously, the bookstore lady sure. realized she was doing me a favor by providing a situation for me to find out that information about my husband, who was just someone I was observing at the time. But I had been observing him for weeks mm. by this point. I see. And so uh, I think it's Desmond Morris or maybe it was Donald Joy who calls these first three stages the discovery stage you know but so this was just another bit of information that i got during the discovery process interesting okay that's so nice. that was eye to body so number two is eye to eye and that's that moment when you're looking at her and she's looking at you and you guys catch each other's eyes and that's that <gasps> oh yeah Oh my gosh, is he looking at me? Oh no. And you know, you kind of look behind you like, wait, he is looking at me. And you know, oh my gosh, don't blow it. Do I have food on my teeth? Uh, you know, <laughs> just that spark that flies in that moment that you realize that she's been watching you too. 
And so that's the eye to eye. That's a really great initial bond, you know. And so um, then number three is voice to voice. And so, you know, after you realize when you catch each other's eyes, you know, then there's the courage to walk up and, you know, hey, baby, what's your name? Right. And start talking. Um, and so voice to voice, this is, you know, hopefully everyone gets long periods of time of just discourse and dialogue and stimulation, you know, mentally um, learning about each other, learning each other's histories, learning each other's um, opinions, learning each other's worldviews, you know, um, how was your class today? Or, you know, how was work today? Or, you know, etc. So voice to voice is the third stage of what Desmond Morris or Donald Joy, I don't remember which of the two call this the discovery mm -hmm. stage, stages one to three. Right. Okay. So there's a friendship developing there okay. in voice to voice. Okay. You, go ahead. Um, you actually kind of, you said somewhere, I can't remember when you said it, uh, but I caught it when you said that you've known a couple or there's sometimes couples may not know this, but naturally they kind of follow it a little bit. So what's the purpose of actually teaching this if some of us are naturally following it? Okay, so um, we all are we all are driven in life. There's lots of things that we do without thinking, right? Um, and so what's always interesting when life creates for us a pause, a stop and evaluation. So when I started parenting, there was a lot of things that I did naturally that I put no thought into. Mm -hmm. But then if someone came alongside and said, oh, I could see why you do that because it will create this, then I stop and think, oh, I never thought of that. You know, well, I don't want it to create that. So let me rethink maybe how I'm going to do this. Let sure. me rethink, rethink my strategy. So most of the time, if people are naturally going to progress through this, they likely are going to naturally progress super fast. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they're not even going to, maybe they're going to skip a stage. And that was something Desmond Morris was really, um, uh, convicted isn't the right word. Um, he felt strongly in his writings that anyone who did not follow each stage, did not spend time in each stage before going to the next one, that there was no hope for that bond. Really? Unless they went back and did some rebonding. Yeah, that was, that was one of my questions, actually. How long should people stay at that? I mean, you can answer that after... I guess after six, or if you can answer it now, I mean, I guess it depends on what, I guess there's different variables with each one of these. It really depends. Right. Because we, we do know that there's always been people who met and got married two weeks later. True. And they're still happily married. Yes. You know, so again, this is why I say you can't make this a formula. Mm -hmm. You can't make it a system towards success. But if you take this information and let it inspire you, then you will 
linger, you know, you will enjoy instead of being so quick to move on to the next stage, you know, um, then you can happily, cheerfully um, enjoy being in stage three for a lengthy period of time. I'm not talking five years. Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, you should be moving on to the next stage, right? But to linger, you know, that, that just became my desire. I just want to linger, you know, here for a while. Now, again, my husband had, you know, he wasn't in the same disciplines as I was in college. So he wasn't uh, exposed to this material while we were dating. Um, so he was just doing it naturally. Hmm. But I was being more purposeful, quietly, you know, in my own mind checking off each stage, you know, and, and kind of, you know, I'm ready for the next one. Right. So, but there was a natural progression that was happening. I see. You're probably smiling. And he's thinking, what are you smiling about? We're going to the next stage. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, this, this first stage is often driven by Eros love. You know, it's an attraction. It's a chemistry stage. It creates sparks. One thing about a marriage a marriage can survive on agape love alone. Agape is unconditional love, the way the Father loves us. And a marriage can survive on agape love hmm. alone. Can a marriage survive on Eros love alone? Describe Eros again. What was that? Um, the sparks, the chemistry, oh, the romance. The butterflies. The butterflies, yeah. Okay. And also something... Um, that I feel need to be said is that there are women who are experiencing agape love in their marriages. But if there isn't Eros love, you know, if the flirting has stopped, if the hand holding has stopped, you know, if we've just kind of slid into this stage of marriage where we respect one another and we're good partners and complacency. We're good team teammates, but you know we're just not romantic anymore with yeah, another. We're married. Why do I need to win each other over again? Um, those women are lonely women. Yes, I don't know if the man is lonely. I, you know, I always hear the woman's perspective, but women are different. Their brains are geared differently, wired differently. Well, wired. That's what I was like. Mm -hmm. Wired differently. Yeah. And I'm always hearing the women's perspective. It's not like I'm sitting down and, you know, really uncovering men, their husbands. But um, I would say that a marriage can survive on agape love, definitely. It'll take them all the way till death do us part. Hmm. But it is lonely if Eros love has been lost along the way. So the the agape love mm -hmm. can survive, but the absence of eros mm -hmm. can cause infidelity. Um, well, I suppose that it can. I mean, you know, any bond that uh, is diminished always provides opportunity for at least one in the marriage to look elsewhere desiring a better bond, you know, being tempted towards infidelity mm -hmm. because really they're wanting I see. A, a stronger bond than what's existing 
currently with their spouse. They may not be seeking agape love, mm-hmm. but just that eros love. They just want the eros love taken care of. Yeah, so the eros love is foundation that drives us to want to get to know each other. Mm-hmm. You know, there has to, or I shouldn't say there has to, there's always exceptions, but there should be sparks that cause you to want to discover more about the person. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then Eros love leads to um, phileo and storge love and agape love. So you can't, it can't be the end all. You can't start out with Eros love and think that it's going to carry you no. 30 years, 40 years down the line. Um, so what I was just indicating is 30, 40 years down the line, it is adequate to have agape love to sustain a marriage. And it will sustain a marriage. But a better way, so, to, you know, quote unquote, a better way is if, if agape love still has threads of phileo love, storge love, and eros love. So, you know, when you look at 70-year-olds, you know, who, 70, 80, 90-year-olds who are, because of the aging process, no longer sexually active with one another, but they're still, they're still holding hands. They may not be doing 10, 10 through 12 anymore. Right, but right. They, but they're still, they're still sparks. Yeah, you know? it can be. It doesn't always have to be... Um, Um, intimacy involved well one of the things to consider regarding number three voice to voice Mm -hmm. um during the dating process that's probably if if your guy cannot engage um with you consistently verbally like one word answers (laughs) Or, you know, if you don't talk a lot, uh, and for every couple, that's different what what amount of talking a lot means, you know. But if you don't talk a lot now, you're sure not going to talk a lot during marriage. So, um, you know, when you're raising kids when they're young and it's sleepless nights and it's an exhaustive stage, those first 10 years, you know, we had five children within a 12 year, six children within a 12 year period of time. Um, yeah, there wasn't a lot of sleep going on. Exhaustion was just built into my life on a day to day basis. So there wasn't a lot of time between my husband and I to, to talk. You know, he would call from the job, but he had to quickly hang up because the job demands and maybe he would call me and I would quickly hang up because, you know, one of the kids just hit the other or whatnot. Yeah. So if we didn't have the foundation already of a lot of verbal practice with one another, we certainly weren't going to get a lot of practice time, you know, in those first 10 years of marriage when we were raising young kids. So I think it's really important during this stage, this third stage voice to voice for people to pay attention. Is this someone who 
I can talk freely with. You know, my husband's not a verbal guy. He's, you know, Adam, you're a communicator. So it's easy for you to verbalize. My husband's not the same way. He's an excellent listener. Mm-hmm. Very much um, so. So, but for me, I'm very verbal too. So, you know, uh, if I can't talk to you about everything going on in the world right now, then I'm not going to feel very friendly towards you. It's going to be more like a professional relationship or business relationship or your your team member on my team. But for myself, being very verbal, I really need somebody who I can talk to. Feedback. Often. I don't need feedback. I just need someone who likes talking to me. I see. Right? So, like with my husband, it's not like he likes talking also, but he likes hearing me talk. Mm-hmm. Which is rare, too, though, because a lot of husbands don't listen very well. What if I was paired up with someone who, the moment I open my mouth, just in their head goes, oh, my goodness, there she goes again. True. Blah, 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 blah. She's just an endless. Happy the worst. An endless stream of words. And I am. I'm an endless stream of of words. But I met somebody who enjoyed me talking. That's cool. And always gave good feedback, not endless words of feedback. But, you know, I can always depend on my husband for a sure word, you know, just a one, one phrase or a sentence. And he nailed it. I'm going to give you an example. There was one time I was going on and on and I don't know. And, and you know, the Bible says this, but you know, and come on. Dude, this is a moment. I need you to say something. Give me, give me something from the Bible because the Bible says that we're our minds are washed and renewed by the by the cleansing of the word. So give me a word. I just need a word. And he says, I don't know. Jesus wept. <laughs> <laughs> and he was feeling like all this pressure and he just threw out mm-hmm. <laughs> humorously the first thing that came to him, Jesus wept. I'm not kidding. That answer even though he was being funny and humorous so ministered to me in that moment and i you're right you're right thank you you did it again of course he's you know flexing and pumping and like that's right you know but i mean he's just being humorous it's just two words and it still totally ministered to me you know he did two things because humor always puts us back on track it's true doesn't it and then um he gave the two words you needed biblically Mm -hmm. it was scripture i mean that was awesome yes so that was someone who doesn't talk in paragraphs and doesn't give theses but with two words, man, did he just give me the edification I needed and that I was begging him for, yeah. you know, and it just, it worked. So that's what you're looking for mm. in voice to voice. You're just looking for, it's not saying that you guys have to talk endlessly. Right. You could be two introverts dating one another and all of your discussions happening in your head. Yeah. But you feel connected somehow. And let me just say, it doesn't have to be like... My kids like to study the Enneagram, some of my kids. And so, you know, what what would be best for an Enneagram one is, I don't know, let's just say an Enneagram seven. I don't really know, but, you know, just throwing it out. We're not saying to to make it 
fit like that. We're just saying who whoever you're dating, take their natural personalities and their natural temperament and see if it fits with yours. Can you have great discussion with one another? Can you talk about the hard things? Can you talk about the fun things? Can you talk about the easy things? Can you communicate with one another well? Hmm. Even if that means one of the spouses is doing all the talking and the other is doing very little of it. And yet they're still connecting. There's other ways of communicating as well. Um, okay. Right. When you say that there's other ways of communicating, after Desmond Morris um, uh, published this book, Human um, Intimate Behavior, a few years later, he uh, published a book called The Human Zoo. And so he went on to now observe the ways in which humans talk to each other without using words. So that was the beginning of body language. So he's sort of the father of the body language um, movement, which just came from observing human beings hmm. and the other ways in which they talk without using words. That's good. Okay, so then the next stages are, again, hand-to-hand, -hand, and then number five, arm-to-shoulder, and then number six, arm-to-waist. So whereas the last three stages was eros love, you might think of this as phileo love, because phileo love is friendship. And so now you're starting to develop more friendship between one another. So hand-to-hand. -hand. Um, okay, so you can see, remember when you were in high school and you would see a guy and a gal on campus kind of hanging around walking each other he's walking her to classes and stuff hanging by her locker and everyone's wondering are they together are they together yeah. or not mm -hmm. and then comes the day that you see them walking down the hall holding hands right and what does that signal to you oh there are a couple now so hand to hand is the next stage and that's now a message is being sent to everybody else that a relationship is developing between these two. The next stage is arm to shoulder. And um, I see this at church that, you know, spouses are still bonding with each other on Sundays because I see um, men in front of me reaching their arms around the back of the pew with their arms around their wives. So, mm -hmm. you know, they're just still connecting with their spouses Arm to shoulder is sort of a gesture of protection, maybe, you know, but it's still signaling to the outside world, you know, we belong together. Yes. You know, so um, this relationship is going somewhere is kind of what you're saying. And then the next stage, which is arm to waist, that's where you're pulled in a little bit closer, you know, hip to hip, sort of, which is a little bit different than arm to shoulder. And arm to waist is, it was brought out in the books that stages four, five, and six, hand to hand, arm to shoulder, arm to waist, that the two individuals are always still facing the same direction. So you're walking down the street, holding hands, or arm to shoulder, or arm to waist. Both of you are still looking out towards the street, you know? It's still this stage, these three stages, is still a very public mm -hmm. part of developing a relationship. You're out in public. This can all be done in the context with uh, in a group setting. 
none of this is um, requires privacy, you know, so you're still very much engaged with the outside world. And it was suggested by Desmond Morris or Donald Joy, I forget which of the two, that this would be the easiest time to exit a relationship um, with the least amount of damage. Interesting. So um, if this relationship isn't one that you want to become a permanent relationship, if you get out now, it'll be okay. You know, you're going to have moments of missing them, but you're not going to be devastated. If they stay till the next stages. The higher they go with 7 through 12, it's the most mm-hmm. devastating, more devastating they are if the, the relationship dissolves. Right. Grief, intense grief. Um, and recovery from grief required to get yeah. over one another the further up you go on this, you know, natural progression of stages. Maybe for uh, people that first experience 7 through 12 and a uh, relationship dissolves compared to that of people who have experienced 7 through 12 with uh, numerous other people and they're not phased at all, mm. you know. Right, so they've bonded with with numerous people. So if you think of Velcro, and if there's a lot of lint in the Velcro, the Velcro loses its bond. That's true. And it's similar. If you have gone to stage 12 with numerous individuals, it impacts your ability to bond. To bond to the next person. To... Or just bond, period? To bond, period. Yes, to bond, period. But all of this can be redeemed. All of this can be uh, reconciled. You know, there's never... You can always um, heal your bonding mechanism, so to speak. One of those uh, things that you had as a kid, scratch and make the... Etch and sketch? Etch and sketch. Uh-huh. And then you mess up and you shake it. And right. Start over, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you can do with this uh, 12 stages of bonding. Well, you know, when you meet, it, it, you think of, uh, of someone like Magic Johnson, who on the world stage acknowledged that he had AIDS and acknowledged that he had had multiple, multiple multiple amount of partners, you know, and so who did he count on during this very public tragedy? He counted on his spouse, not those multiple, 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 multiple partners. True. And the, and he had a different bond with his spouse than he did with all those other girls. I see. Now she stayed with him through that. And that created within him, by his own admission, a level of love for her that he never had had for another because she stuck with him through the biggest challenge of his life. That's a real person. So he learned how to bond healthily through that experience with his own wife. During his marriage, he was guilty of what we call a double bond. He was bonded to his wife, but he was still um, sleeping around with other women. So this is a tragic Mm. 
um, misuse of bonding, but he was able in the long run to set aside all those other double bonds and just bond solely with the woman he was already married to. That's good. So there's always hope. I mean, right. you know, like I said, it's not a system. It's not a, um, you know, you should spend this amount of weeks in this particular stage or, or whatnot. You know, every couple is individual and everyone has different DNA and temperaments and history and beliefs. And you bring that all together and it's going to be a different story for, for each, you know, couple. So even if you have bonded with multiple people, that doesn't mean that you're unable to, you know, now you've met the girl of your dreams. You know, you just learn how to do it differently instead of going all the way to stage 12 the first night. Right. You know? Yeah. So you have to learn how to talk more. Stage three, you have to learn how to linger. You have to figure those things out that you didn't do with the um, other partners. An example. So um, at some point, my husband told me, you know, there's really nothing left that sets you apart from other people that I've been with. But I would like, I don't know how far we're going to go. I don't know if we're going to make it, you know, um, to a lifelong uh, relationship, but to show you that you're different than the others, I have purpose that I won't, you know, for lack of a better word, go to stage 12 with you unless I'm married to you. And that's how you'll be different than the others. You know, okay, so I didn't go, what? What a nerd. I went, <gasps> oh, wow. <laughs> you know, I mean, it just you totally know. wooed me and, you know, uh, made me feel really special. You, Because you feel valued. I felt very valued. Mm -hmm. I love that. And the the great thing is my husband has traveled so much for work, you know, um, for years. He leaves on Monday and he comes back on Friday. I have never, never once doubted his fidelity towards me. Never. But because of the way he conducted himself while we were dating, um, and I saw that he was able to exercise self-control. Mm -hmm. um, and there were a lot of sparks that were flying between us. You know, I'm not going to say it was easy. It was hard to wait till marriage. And so, you know, but he managed to, you know, if he would, if we would have succumbed to stage 12 prior to marriage, I think we probably would have still gotten married and still been okay you know um i think that we still would have lasted we still would have had a good friendship but the fact that we made it until marriage even though both of us had plenty of sexual experience in our history the fact that we made it till marriage um was different for both of us and so it made it very special for both of us. 
And there wasn't a lack of tempting moments. There were many, many tempting moments where we just had to depart from each other, mm -hmm. that specific, you know, moment. So it wasn't that there weren't sparks, but it's just that I saw that he could, if he committed himself to a decision, that he could stick with that decision even when it was hard. You needed to help him with that and that tempt him. Um, well, you know, I was more impulsive than him. I, if I would have tempted him, I would have been okay with it. <laughs> I mean, you know, in the moment. Right. You know, the next day I would have been re very regretful. Yeah. But um, I just saw in him that he could stay committed to a decision and to see it through, even when in the moment it was a hard decision to stay committed to. And so that's basically the character of my husband. But you don't know that when you're dating. You don't see all of these little things like that and analyze it in a way like, well, because he was able to resist today, that means that in 25 years when we're separated because of work, that I'll be able to feel totally secure. Like, you don't think that way. Mm. It's only in hindsight do you realize, huh, he was already showing me who he was way back then, even when I wasn't looking for that or, or I wasn't analyzing his behavior to, to bring about these kind of conclusions mm -hmm. 25 years later. Okay. Wow. So um, in in this stage, I think that we'd gotten to arm to waist, had we? I think so. Stage six. Yeah, about the um, church. That's yeah. arm to shoulder, stage five. Okay. And then arm to waist, you're pulled in a little bit closer, you know, um, kind of hip bone to hip bone. Um, but you're still both looking out. You know, you're not staring at each other. And during this stage is where you really need to figure out, you know, I may be in love with this guy, but is this going to be a compatible relationship? You know, I'm looking at his family. You know, you're not just going to marry this guy. You're going to marry their family too, you know, or, um, you know, I'm looking at the fact that he's a visionary and I'm much more, um, pragmatic? Am I going to be able to deal with this dreamer all the time? Or I love this guy, but he has, you know, um, he just hasn't risen yet to a state of recovery with his mental health issues. Can I, can I marry that too? You know, these are the times where you're taking it from just the, oh my gosh, I just love him. He's so handsome. He's so sweet. He's so cute. I just love him to the more realistic questions is, do I think that this is going to be a compatible relationship to take, you know, till death do us part. And so anyway, hopefully everyone is asking themselves the hard questions during um, stage six before they go on to stage seven, eight, and nine. Gotcha. And that's, um, and then after that, 7 through 12 is definitely... Um, one flesh. One flesh. So we'll definitely talk about that uh, next week. Okay. You have just heard The 12 Stages of Bonding Part 1 with Nita DeRossier. Tune in for next Monday on Part 2, and we'll be discussing the second half, 7 through 12, being one flesh. You won't want to miss it. 
If you have questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to email me at info at champ180.com. God bless, and remember to champ up and champ on. Thank you so much for listening to the Champ 180 podcast. I really appreciate your time and tuning in. Again, this is Adam Childress, but I'd like to leave you with a few things to uh, live by daily. That is be thankful, be kind, believe in yourself, never give up, help others, cherish family and friends, do your best, listen with your heart, laugh often, and love lots. Until next time. God bless.